This is Granny D. I'm talking from KBOO, Portland. I come from Dublin, New Hampshire, and I go across the country working for public funding at the state level. And I often hear about KBOO on my email. It is often mentioned as one of the most progressive and daring um, stations that we have in this country. They are not afraid to tell you the truth. So tune in to KBOO Portland and get the real word. KBOO is proud to co-sponsor the Portland Folk Music Society concert series starting Saturday, September 17th with singer-songwriter Tim Grimm. Folk Music Series of Nine Saturday Concerts starts September 17th and continues through May of 2023 at the Reedwood Friends Church on Southeast Steel. Season tickets are now available. Ticket information can be found at kboo.fm under Community Events. Welcome to the Talking Earth. This is, uh, you're listening on KBL Portland, 90.7 on your FM dial. Um, this is Patrick Bocard, uh, your occasional host who has restarted hosting. Uh, Barbara Lamorticello will be coming back next year and be part of the rotation. Tonight, I have two excellent poets, uh, one of whom I met through uh, open mics in Portland. Um, his career has been on an upswing. Uh, a. Malakov. And he has a new book out called Future Symptoms. And a. Malakov's previous poetry collections are The Catalog of Broken Things, Application of Shadows, and Synonyms for Silence. His memoir, A Broken Russia Inside Me, deals with growing up in the USSR and making a new life in America. Malakov's collection of 10 short stories, Interventions in Blood, is part of Hawaii Review, issue 91. He co-edits the Inflectionist Review, and his past work includes visual art, experimental film, and music. Hey, Malakov, are you out there? Yes, thank you so much, Patrick, for having me on tonight. That's uh, it's really nice to be on air with you again. We're going to hear from you and uh, your poetry in just a minute, but I'm going to introduce our other poet, Nadia Colburn. Has published has been published in American Poetry Review, American Scholar, Kenyan Review, and The New Yorker, among others. She holds a PhD in English from Columbia University and a BA from Harvard, and is a yoga instructor, a serious student of Buddhist meditation, and a committed social justice and environmental activist. She is the founder of Align Your Story classes and coaching for women and lives in Cambridge, Massachusetts with her husband and two children. Her latest book, The High Shelf, was published in 2019, and there may be a new book coming or not. I, is that true, Nadia, or did I make a mistake? Yes, that's great. Thank you. Um, thank you for the introduction, and it's great to be here with you and Anatoly. Thanks. So we're going to get going with some poetry. Um, uh, how about uh, Anatoly? Did you want to, A. Malakov, did you want to uh, read read a little selection first? Uh, sure. I'm, I'm going to... Uh, accept um, your invitation to do that. Um, thanks again, Patrick. Uh, Nadia, thanks for joining me. I'm so excited about your book. Uh, it's one of my favorites in the last few uh, months. I just loved it. Um, so it's an honor. Uh, and I will read um, a slightly longish poem. It's a couple of minutes called Minus Future. I wrote it recently. It was an important one for me because it deals with the situation in Ukraine. And obviously, as a person born in the place that's now called Russia. I uh, feel some personal uh, 
brief about it. So I read this poem, it's called Minus Future. It's been recently published in Tikkun. Uh, you can check it out there on their website. And the future is crossed out in this poem as well as some other words, uh, such as the names of um, historical leaders. Isn't this a beautiful world with love and damaged bodies? How many dead Russian soldiers equal one Ukrainian civilian in Putin's head? And who made Putin? I didn't stop Putin. I didn't stay behind to prevent Putin. And aren't ruins louder than whole buildings? An old woman in Lviv, a child in Mariupol, a father pointing a stinger missile, his arms strong from the cello, a symphony of death growing in his head. My mother watches Russian TV. She thinks they are here to save us. And if Zelensky is Jewish, where are the Nazis, if not inside Putin? Hitler opined. All propaganda has to be popular and has to accommodate itself to the comprehension of the least intelligent. And if you're popular because you've staged a terrorist attack or two and faked a few elections and insecure about what's next, why not invade a country or two while playing the victim? Why not embrace myth and fake history while the future is voided? What? future in a country that offers nothing but oil, gas, and death. My dad says I'm a traitor. My mom just cries in the kitchen. We connect on FaceTime. I'm not sure how they still access it. What face is this? Whose time is this? And if I'm the speaker, it's easy for me to say. My own mother is dead. I left in 1990. In 93, she approved my choice. I didn't stay behind to prevent Putin. If I had, I would have failed. So what's the right answer? Who are we after the truth is removed? Who are we after to remove it? The old woman in Mariupol is no longer there. Her heart just stopped from grief. And all I can do is keep refreshing the news. One of my sisters lives in Belarus, the other in Ukraine. They don't tell us what's going on. My son has been drafted. We are killing our own. My son died defending Russia from Russia. When new history replaces the old, who will have written it? Who buys that future? Who pays for it? And while we didn't speak, how Many were silenced. My daughter was raped by Russian soldiers. While we waited for the war to end, how many were killed? When we spoke, how little changed? Well, this poem is offered with grief for the Ukrainian people and with optimism for their future. I'm inspired by their bravery and by the resolve of President Zelensky. Russia is the black hole that under Putin has no future. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Emilakov. Um, so we were gonna go in blocks. Do we, uh, should we just go with Nadia? Nadia, do you wanna read something now or do we wanna talk a little bit? Well, I think that was such a powerful poem. I would love to respond to it. Okay. And, you know, maybe talk about it a little bit. Um, yeah. And I'm just thinking, yeah, that was that was a really powerful poem. And unfortunately, so timely, right? And, um, but really speaks to, I think, people around the world as we're um, really questioning in so many places what freedom of thought is, what freedom of action is what peace is, all of those things. So thank you for that. Yeah, th thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Tola. Yeah, I've, I've, I mean, I have, I have questions, but not about, 
I'm wondering how, I mean, I was wondering how you would read the, the words to get crossed out and how that would be, you would read them out loud. Uh, yeah, so the words in this one is future and Putin and Hitler. And yeah. uh, right now, I don't know exactly how to read them. There are also italics that I read with a sort of whisper. And um, uh, I considered getting sound effects for poetry readings, but um, I haven't found a you know um, really easy solution yet. No, the, the, well, the, the thing I would, I mean, you know, that I do weird things with my mouth. Well, Nadia may not realize this, but I, I get uh, sometimes feted as the premier monster poet of Portland poetry, which is <laughs> embarrassing. But what I would do is I would read stuff in a like a uh, growly voice, like a uh, cookie monster or like, all, and I don't know if that would work for what you were doing. And I mean, yeah, you, I remember when you would go to an actual like outside reading, you would often have music accompaniment, musical accompaniment. I was kind of curious about how you would use that. I have other questions too about like spatial stuff, but I'll, I'll leave them for later, I think, because both of you do really interesting things with the, the uh, white space in the page, I think. Uh, Nadia, did you want to read something or? Sure. Um, so actually this poem that is at the very beginning of the high shelf is called Plenitude Pregnancy. And as you were reading, I was thinking that, you know, I my first child was a son and I found myself, and he was born in, in 2000 and really thinking a lot about war as a mother and thinking about how just incredibly horrible it is that uh, sons are sent off to fight in wars. So I was kind of obsessed with this uh, in my pregnancy. And, and so it's interesting that this poem is, I wrote this poem, it's not explicitly in the poem, but I think there is a kind of sense throughout the poem of, um, that contrast between anticipation and fullness and also uh, the dangers of the world. And I wrote this poem in Greece, actually, when I was pregnant with my daughter four years later, but thinking about both of my pregnancies. Plenitude Pregnancy. One, the rock that stands on the hill of stone, the blade that grows between stone, myself that might be, at night in bed, the body relaxes, not lonely, and then in the long light stretches first the legs, then the arms. Two, as the golden cup of emptiness, inside, little legs kicking up against my side, your little lump now by my navel, the stones of the hillside have been gathered into walls, stripes along the hillside's middle towards which the sheep their legs hobbled close together, walk, eager for shade. The world into which you will come is a waiting bowl. Hear the high echo. And I'll just, this has a poem in nine parts. I'll just skip ahead a little bit. Okay. Um, seven, across the terraced hills, more terraces the olives, the only green, and the spindly bloom with its bright yellow blossoms, the land made to support them, the donkeys at evening carrying water, and below the aquamarine of the sea, now smooth as glass that brings back open-mouthed black plastic bags. Oh, little one, all that is not mine to give you, what will I give you? And then part nine came into the world. At center, a silence. Activity, a cry, too high to hear. A rent in the sky, a single cloud. Then, will come. So, and maybe I can read just one more poem kind of on that yeah. topic of thinking about the multiplicity of the world. Um, reading the newspaper by the open window. The world that is alone in its beauty with no consolation. The black walnut tree, the double oleander, 
the goats, always hungry. Who hasn't been seduced? Who is the wonderful me of happiness, of forgetfulness, of horror that must be a part, as if all were a word in another language? Now no one speaks. So, yeah, so then after I was already, you know, thinking about mother's sons being sent off to war, then then it was uh, September 11th, and of course, what we were eager to do as a nation was go fight a war to prevent war. So um, I think that was also writing under, under that uh, in, this, in this book, in those kinds of uh, discrepancies. Hmm. One of the things that strikes me with your poetry is that uh, it's, I mean, both of your poetries is that they seem chiseled that like there's everything's concentrated on the page in little and and I'm making hand gestures which is not going to be in the show how foolish of me but uh that the this that they're they're able to the, the words themselves are able to carry so much um, and, and Anatoly do you want to respond to that well, thank you, Patrick. Um, I um, appreciate it. it um, for me, revision is pretty significant. Um, I, I sometimes will revise poems for years until I'm happy with them. And so, yeah, I think um, that's the effect I strive for. So I appreciate your mentioning that. Yeah. The other thing I was going to say that struck me so much with plenitude pregnancy is that uh, as, a, as a man, I don't know the feeling of... Mm being pregnant and you it, it was completely expressed to me i oh. felt it and i was very impressed by that poem thank you yeah i i um i wanted to have that contrast between the fullness and the kind of spaciousness or conf that between also the physical presence and uh the way in which i i my experience of pregnancy was really a going beyond logical understanding yeah. um, and so I'm, I'm I'm glad you appreciate the poem and 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 in this the high shelf in particular I was really working a lot with silence and with how I could juxtapose uh, language and silence or fullness and emptiness so trying to be as spare as possible so have each word hold as much as possible what are you saying here? Golden cup of emptiness. I love this expression. Thank you. I got it, Patrick. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I did, I had nothing to say other than possibly have us move on. So if you have something, please please say it. I also thought that um, in this poem, the, the sort of melancholy landscape you set up is very effective from the plastic bags and um, um, uh, the who hasn't been seduced. I, I love the tropes and the concerns you're working with um, in this poem. And another thing that occurred to me as you were reading, a lot of writers who worry about the world, when I see the words the world appearing in text, it just warms my heart for some reason. I like people thinking on that level. So thank you. That's a beautiful poem. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Nadia. Um, so Emil Akov, did you want to read another little block or? Yes, sure. Um, uh, let's go with some that you kindly pointed out um, if um, I got them right. So this one is called Unlove. And um, in general, I don't talk about how my poems came about and I um, I'm not comfortable with that. I don't have good explanations usually. Um, so I'll just read a couple. Okay. On love. If I lived on the surface of the sun, I would burn for the rest of my life without going to hell like a moth. I would miss you. I miss you anyway. I crawl through you like a broken mirror. I cry from your eyes when I'm free i stand before you bleeding if i lived on the surface of the sun i would miss you 
And this one is called Ways Around It. Life as an accident, a fire, an explosion, future added and subtracted as we curve carefully around our intended paths, rubbing our mistakes off on those who love us. In the cellars of our minds lie full chests of love and gold, but we don't know which is love and which is gold, and which last week's lunch, or a memory from many years ago, an anchor in the dark, the fireworks and their reflections in your eyes and how you said, I can't do this anymore. How could you in this expiring future with these effortless lives, your lungs full of holes? And by the way, a shout out to the word works. So both um, my last book, Future Symptoms, and Nadia's book um, were published by the word works. A wonderful oh, yeah. place in, in, um, in Washington, I guess, there. So uh, thanks, WordWorks. Yeah, and Nadia, your your book, uh, your 2019 book came out in WordWorks. Yes. Well. Yeah. Yes, it's been great to work with them um, and to be in the company of other poets there at WordWorks. So thanks to WordWorks, yes. Um, oh, the, another thing I was just going to say is that, uh, hey, Malakov, your, your book has the sections have their own structures of the poems, but the it varies greatly between the different sections. I mean, you have the, you have the and that's from like one of my favorite sections is the the, the one you're reading those poems out of. They're very compressed on the page, but then they kind of have they have spaces in the middle of them, and I just love some of the language in there and the Thank compression. You. I appreciate that, Patrick. Yes, I'm, um, I, I like to vary forms and formats and experiment with uh, what that brings to the page. Although, essentially, I do believe that text is linear. It's, it's a one line of text. Yeah. But, yeah. Entropy Lessons, that was the name of the section. Um, but, uh, so, uh, Nadia, do you have another block to? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, Anyway, I also want to say I really enjoyed those poems and love the way that for they're serious and some humor in there as well. Um, and, and that juxtaposition between the kind of romantic and the actual and um, they're just working on a lot of levels. So I definitely appreciate them. Um, and I will read kind of, I was thinking about one of the things about the landscape in Greece is that it's, I love that landscape when I first went to Greece, I just fell in love with the landscape. And um, it's so elemental, but part of what's so beautiful about it is a result of the environmental destruction that has happened there. So um, when Homer talks about the wine dark seas, the, the seas were so dark because they were full of life. And now they're so wonderful to swim in because they've all been fished out. So there's this strange juxtaposition. And I try to get that in, in the book. So this poem is called The Natural World. It actually doesn't take place in Greece, but it takes place on, on the ocean somewhere else. The Natural World. It was like waking up one day, no longer able to carry a tune. The little chicks trailing behind their mother searching for food the hummingbird coming once, twice to the bougainvillea vine, the children in the water laughing, feeling the sun on their faces, their arms, the waves showing their white tips, claiming a space, becoming undone. Three starfish lie on a blanket. Music from a boat that heads to the pleasure island changes the, charges the air and is changed. The beat louder, austere, the words lost to the wind. Yes. Certainly, we will destroy ourselves. Somehow that just little act of people taking these starfish and taking them out of the water and putting it on their blanket really struck me as just a kind of consciousness that we don't realize what we're doing um, 
in, in our own pleasure, how, how destructive our own pleasure can be. The banality of evil kind of situation, I guess, right? Yeah, and, and I mean, and I in, include myself in that as well, you know, don't don't think that I am exempt. Um, that, and that last line just got me. Yeah. It reminds me of like a James Wright poem, like some of the ones that end with like, where you, and, it, and it's so not a non sequitur, it's, it actually is, everything leads up to it, you need to read, I had to meet, I had to see it again, to hear you read it, read it for the first time even though yeah. I read it, to understand the roots of the lot, you know, where, where it goes. And yeah. yeah, it feels unfortunately true. Well, I hope it isn't. Well, yeah. Um, so I'll read the next poem, which isn't very cheery either. And then, <laughs> <laughs> so it's called Given. Um, sometimes people ask me about the title, but I'll just read it now. And, and, and the whole poem, except for the last line um, takes place in parentheses hmm. given King Island emu Mariana mallard pink-headed duck Labrador duck New Zealand quail double-banded argus Hawkins whale red whale red-throated wood whale white-winged sandpiper Eskimo curly Colombian grebe Bermuda night heron, Ascension night heron, New Zealand little bittern, small St. Helena petrel, large St. Helena petrel, St. Helena dove, passenger pigeon, silvery pigeon, Mauritius blue pigeon, Rodriguez gray pigeon, Bonin wood pigeon, Sulu bleeding heart, Black-fronted parakeet, society parakeet, paradise parrot, night parrot, Cuban red macaw, Cuban kite, laughing owl, Alfaro's hummingbird, imperial woodpecker, Bruce's emerald, Gould's emerald, bush wren, red sea swallow, white-eyed river martin, Wook's blue flycatcher, bay starling, mysterious starling, black lord waxbill whose songs we do not hear. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That was, uh, yeah, that's another pessimistic. <laughs> and it's just, um, it's interesting how I've been writing prose and there was a story that was difficult for me to tell and I was trying it and trying it and someone just said, well, basically just say what happened. Don't, yeah. don't um, put in any feelings or um, explain it, just, just say what happened. And that was so helpful for me because I was, you know, writing about my own life and just saying what happened, just the bare facts. It was like, okay, well, there it is. Um, it, it really freed something up in me, that exercise in prose. And I feel like whether this poem given is optimistic or pessimistic, I don't know. Um, it is the truth. And, and in putting the poem together, when I looked up names of extinct birds, which these all are, um, yeah. I had a lot, a lot, a lot to choose from. This was hardly... Um, <clears throat> know like oh i'll just put the the list of extinct birds into a poem yeah. was, but, <laughs> there were a lot that didn't make it yeah yeah well they're all songbirds too yeah yeah there's you don't have the moa or the uh dodo on there yeah right and some of them even um, i didn't know they were extinct until i saw them in your list because i'd run into the same words in literature and i'm not really up to date on what's out there in the world so it was kind of a shock yeah, no. So it's it's uh, pessimistic in the sense that it's more than a page. It's optimistic in that it's not an entire book length yet. Well, maybe it's also optimistic in that when we tell the truth, there's a certain amount of optimism in it. Um, and that, you know, first of all, being able to tell the truth isn't something that <laughs> I think, you know, we should take for granted. And also that, you know, things can 
things can turn around, obviously not extinct species, but um, I've seen so many eagles this summer actually, and yeah. eagles were almost extinct and now they're really coming back. So I don't mean to, well, the other poem was I think more pessimistic, but, um, but I wanna keep the possibility of action and, and, and change and the unknown and, and, and making a difference too. So don't want to be too pessimistic. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I tend a little, a little more to the pessimism, but, yeah. <laughs> but that's not that's really a preference. Um, uh, Amal do you have a, a block? Uh, sure. And I just wanted to mention that, that war is lost to the wind. That does sound, you know, pessimistic, but you could also say, well, maybe the wind will carry them to somebody. And when we do this work, such as poetry or writing in general, it's kind of like that too, because most people aren't going to be interested. Um, so I think that there is some optimism in that metaphor as well, if we wanted to dissect it all the way. Uh, I, I vote for for both. Yeah, yeah. Well, I like that. There's one. Um, yeah, and um, I will um, I'm gonna go back to something that's slightly personal. Uh, this poem that you um, mentioned, Patrick, called "Solar Wind," is um, um, an experiment. I used some um, um, language from my father's article about the um, distribution of temperatures in Sam's atmosphere. He's a physicist. Um, well, he's 91 now. I think about six months ago he stopped doing scientific work but like two years ago he was still publishing in the astrophysical journal and that's where these quotes are from and so the words that are in whisper or ish voice will be from the source text from his article and the other text is my own it's called solar wind as we face each other with our well-built smiles in a thin layer of the shockwave. The world, another gigantic mirror staring back. The temperature is added to the list of unknown quantities. We may experience magnetic reconnection, the merging of magnetic islands. This dead silence between us, this harsh grimace, our potential traps letting through symptoms of our desperate lifelong asking locally accelerated particles for our inner quick burning the magnitude of induction decreases but would it be enough if we weren't flares with unusual power enmeshed in light all along in the solar wind, trying to love ourselves out of this. So thanks to my dad for that um, language. I, I thought that was a very interesting experiment and I read it both ways. Yes, you can. I read mm -hmm. the, the, you have it in italics, the, the quotes from the, uh, article and so i read that in a row narratively i read the other side narratively and then i read them the way you did together okay yeah I don't I know if you have, do you have a preferred is there a preferred choice for the reader no i was hoping that the reader would explore each of those three options and i took some work to put it together uh in this way without breaking the text uh, the source text um, so thank you for noticing that. I appreciate yeah. it. I couldn't obviously read it three times, but um, that um, um, is definitely the intention. So thank you um, for that. Um, the other um, Swedish poem that um, you mentioned is After Etiquette. Oh, yeah. House. Sorry? Can, okay, if I read this one? Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Sorry. Okay. I didn't mean to. Um, after etiquette. The house looms before me, roof trapped in fog. The many rooms harbor dead friends whose dear faces have almost faded. 
Now I know what the siren meant, angel in white beating my chest, another kissing my lips, the silence after. But how dare I enter and meet these friends again? Will they receive me? They have waited too long. Their ears are too small for words. And what have I done for them since they left? Their gardens overgrow, their legacies lag. I'll wait outside until my own life's results are obsolete. Thank you, Patrick. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for reading that. It's, uh, it's another interesting, yeah, another interesting, uh, uh, well, I don't know how experimental that is actually, that, that one. I just like the, the title and the kind of how compressed it is. Thank you. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not going to try to be experimental, but sometimes my work tends to be classified in that way because it's somewhat strange. Um, I do write prose as well. And, um, I suppose I reserve my more abstract and strange thoughts for poetry, whereas my prose is more linear and more relatable for, you know, narrative loving people. Sure. sure. Um, I could interrupt the, actually, uh, Nadia, do you want to go with another block and I will probably ask questions or a question after it? Sure. Is this the last block? Should I, or? No, not necessarily. I mean, we're, oh, uh, about halfway through, maybe, I mean, we started a quarter after, so we got about 20 minutes, I think. Okay, so I just so paced myself. Yeah, but yeah, it's definitely not the last block of poetry. Okay. So I will read another pregnancy poem. This is in the middle of the book, and it might be a little bit hard to understand if you're just hearing it for the first time, so I'll just tell you. So it's called Pregnancy. And um, I was so aware in pregnancy of being, being formed, but what was it being formed out of? So I was, again, playing with um, being and nothingness, right? Matter and, and emptiness and in all kinds of ways as well. So I was playing in this poem with the idea of laundry on a laundry line, which you'll hear and using that metaphor. Pregnancy. Imagine laundry on a laundry line. Attached at two points, a white sheet hangs easily in air. It mirrors the white of the sky that, because it is laundry day, looks clean, not threatening rain. This is one scenario. The sheet dominates, undoing the meaning of sky. In another, the sheet on the line slaps furiously as a white sail on a sinking boat at sea. Now the sheet is secondary. Though it dominates, it dominates for something else. Nothingness, because it believes itself the source of meaning, accepts the work the sheet does for it. It wants us to think that the wind, because we cannot see it, symbolizes erasure. It wants us to think into every scene some metaphoric meaning, with itself at center. The sky holds back. It takes on the look of the dead sailor, of the submersion of hope, in the certainty of dark water. Out in the backyard, the sheet becomes a shroud, perhaps. On laundry day, it is easy to see force and to see a fine, clean force in futility. For on laundry day, if everything looks clean, then everything looks as it should be. See how what can't be seen takes the objects of this world and hurls them about themselves. The sheet sags comes back, dancing in the colorless light, every inch of its surface touched by the colorless light. We sit by the picture window. Something's about to disappear. Something's about to take form. So I think, yeah, one of the things that poetry can do, maybe a little bit different from prose, is just play with 
the mind and metaphor and seeing things in multiple ways um, and not needing to land so the sheet can continue to flap <laughs> with yeah. all its different meanings. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. I will read a poem called Happiness. Happiness. Wherever I looked, something opened in the tree, a hole where the squirrel all fall bought its nuts. Amid the sidewalk, the little blades of grass still strong after the first snow. Inside my house, there was my body nestled by the bodies of the ones I love. How had I arrived? This measurable space, the stairs so narrow that the bed frame needed to be sawed in half. Or in the dark, the inhalation, the exhalation of what? Always escaping, always calling me back. And I'll read one more story. On little feet, you run into the room, holding hands. The sun is up. You have discovered with daddy gray and black and white pebbles that you put into the green pail. You look up at me. You take one pebble out from the pail, then another. This is enough. Mm. Yeah, two of those three were ones that I asked you to read, actually. Mm -hmm. um, um, and I honestly, that, that last one I enjoyed as well. I did, um, well, I enjoyed your book immensely. Uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask both of you uh, is whether consciousness is a it seems to be a major subject for both of your poetries and that I, I felt that uh, the pregnancy poem about the white sheet and the very and it's a metaphor but also just that it keeps changing it was kind of a there was like I'm struggling here because I'm not really good with philosophy yeah. But well, uh, I think that I thought like one of the subjects is like being in non-existence or consciousness there. Yeah, absolutely. And the power of nothing to control reality. Yes, absolutely. And that we're always living in between life and death or becoming and whatever non-becoming is um, and kind of making forms both with our bodies but also with our minds giving stories to what we are what we're seeing around us um so that's very much you know that that consciousness interacting with a physical world that's always changing and, um, oh, go ahead. um another thing that to me is very interesting about consciousness is as far as we know in the human species is the the only one who possesses it on a on the on the level we do and so not only do we exist in the objective sense but there's also interpretation everything has been interpreted by ourselves and others as we exist um it's not just down to facts not just down to food survival that kind of stuff so i think um as you pointed out nadia it's interesting to play with these contradictions and dualities uh, always escaping, always uh, calling me back. Um, um, it's interesting, and consciousness is a, it's a construct. Uh, yeah. I do think those um, concepts lend themselves to poetry really easily, as you pointed out, Patrick. Yeah. No. no I, yeah. Go ahead. I was thinking also that I was really admiring the lines. If I, if I were, I think it was if I were to stand on the sun. Um, I would I will miss you mm -hmm. right I mean that, that we we feel can feel so full of emotion that we feel almost like we're standing on the sun we send ourselves through our consciousness to these far literally far out places which many of your poems are dealing with and um you know imagining kind of celestial <laughs> matter so yeah kind of the humor of consciousness itself right yeah something of that sort <laughs> and i'm an agnostic uh, personally so to me anything is possible in terms of how the world might be or is mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I kind of, I agree with you, Ed Malakoff, and, and that kind of, even, even in my pessimism. Mm. <laughs> but, uh, did you, uh, Ed Malakoff, did you want to read another uh, little block? Probably have time for at least a block a piece. Uh, sure. Uh, more pestering questions. Uh, sure, I love your pestering questions as well, and um, it's all good. But um, here's a poem that um, uh, we talked about a little earlier um, that's dedicated to Paul Salon. And Paul Salon was a um, um, Jewish uh, poet and writer who um, um, lost his family in the Holocaust and suffered from severe depression throughout his life and ended up committing suicide in Paris in, I think, 1975. He was one of the most innovative uh, poets, though, in um, history, and some of his work is uh, still uh, pretty much at the pinnacle of, uh, of poetry to many. So this yeah. poem is um, called Two Pulse Alone. Words stolen by damaged mouths spit out back to you with blood on pale skin you tried to wash them off reteach them their meanings but your slaughtered parents whispered in your dreams there comes a time when no is lighter than yes let me visit you a moment before you go to sleep in the water to tell you of all the words those you touched became true of all the almonds you are the most bitter and the sweetest and that alludes to a quote from Paul Salon um, he has a poem <clears throat> about almonds um, you should check out it's a very good poem um, so that's to Paul Salon, and if um, some of our listeners haven't um, read his work, I strongly recommend this poet and uh, prose writer as well. Um, I'll read um, this um, other short poem called Obituary. Okay. I welcome emptiness. It is a good start. An empty vessel holds no dynamite. An empty mind plans no atrocities hold my hand and share how it feels to plan your own exit i respect every part of it i love the empty frame when the film ends the optimistic empty screen at the end of life. And that alludes to what you were saying in your poem, Nadia, about emptiness, the, <clears throat> the one that we discussed. So I thought that might respond to your poem in, in a strange way. Yeah, very beautiful. And I can absolutely hear the Salon um, influence. Actually, the epigraph uh, for the high shelf is a quote from Paul Salon. Oh, that's right. I'm also a salon fan. Oh, I missed yeah. that. Um, but yeah, I, those are really beautiful. Thank you. Uh, Nadia, do you have a? Do yeah, you read a little I bit? thought I thought maybe I'd read some poems that are newer that are not in that book and. In a, in a book that's coming out? A, a book. This is the first time I've said it publicly. I have a new book that's going to come out, um, and it will be official, I think, next week. Um, so I'm very excited. From um, Nadia Colburn? Yes. <laughs> name now, so people can look it up and find it. Yes. Nadia Colburn. Watch out. It's going to be going to be like, I heard her years ago. She's Yay. a bestseller. You know, that famous poet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Actually, this is the first poem in, in the new book. I think it is such a beautiful, let me start over. I think it is such a beautiful dawn and my mind, which wants to hold things as they are, cannot hold this morning, first of April, spring too early this year by three weeks, 
the daffodils of my city spurred forward by the warmth. Cannot hold Brett, gone. Patrizia, gone, too. Not the marching clouds, not the sky that is perched on altering above the clouds, not the methane leaks, not the whales offshore, suffering the piercing sounds of boats. I reach out my hands, one and then the other, spread my fingers as the light falls through them. Wow. Thank you. I love the, the perched the perched sky. <laughs> that perched sky. Okay, I'll read just a few more um, from, from this book. Well, I'll read another bird poem since we had the bird poem up flying. Whole flocks of geese in my childhood honking their way north, the streets dirty with pigeons, the sky blackened by starlings, each small pointed wing so close to another's it was just a blur. Now only sparrows and the thick shrub branches, thousands of them, so many more than us, twittering at daybreak. And yet how many have been lost? Three billion birds are missing. We wake to so many forms of emptiness, so many forms of loss greet us in our sleep. In my childhood, I thought the world I'd entered would be the one I'd exit. Now, in the poplar, one grackle whistles, not to me. Teach me. Teach me how to pray anywhere. Teach me that you live not only in the open field, the cardinal singing at first dawn, but also in the concrete parking lot of the Everett Mall in the flashing lights of Old Navy, in the wires crossing the open expanse above me. The cars speed down the highway. Their tires spin, spin. There is so much work to do. Dark oil flows over the whole land. Teach me how to praise your whole body. Hmm. Wow. And should I stop there? Should I do one? more um, if you want to save it we could have both of you end on a poem soon okay. great I'll uh, save it first i would say uh if someone wants to find out about your new upcoming book they they go to uh the website nadia colburn nadia, yeah nadia colburn.com yes spelled n-a-d-i-a-c-o-l-b-u-r-n.com Yes, thank you. And I also um, have a lot of free resources for writers. So I have a lot of writing prompts and meditations for writers and um, other like publication guides and lots, lots of things that I think writers might be interested in all on my website. And I'm also very easy to contact through my website. That's, and uh, A. Malakov, you also are people can find you and your new book at amalakov.com. Yes, that's right. Um, and um, links to my other books as well and uh, any other information. Or uh, just by Googling, folks can find some uh, prose as well uh, that's been published around. Uh, definitely check out the Infectionist Review, which is a journal I co-edited with John Sibley Williams, who is also a wonderful Portland poet. Nice. And uh, we do... Um, publish a certain kind of poetry that uh, folks who like Nadia's work might appreciate as well in particular. So I'm thinking maybe we have we have time for one ish poem a piece. If uh, who uh, you want to go first Amalakov or go second or Nadia do you want to? Um. I don't care. Okay. I just was noticing that I made a change to this poem that isn't on my printed page. So <laughs> let me see if I have that can find the okay. updated version. Maybe uh, Imalakov, are you ready with your final poem? Uh, sure, sure. I'm definitely ready. Um, and uh, my book has um, some political poetry and a lot of um, personal uh, metaphysical work. So I'll, I'll finish on this one. It's um, 
um, sort of a good match for the, the mood that you'd expect in the book, and it's called Testaments from the Departed. I prefer a body to its absence. Simple things last under fire, a needle, a knife, a skeleton, street without end, crumbling red brick of these cemetery walls. In the end, there is no end that we know of, just a concept. I'll see you somewhere. Translate me into clay, into words, into light. Enable lasting. Restore hunger to my lips. All those unsaid things. A garden of lost thoughts. Give them meaning. Translate me into yourself. On the bottom shelf, my shadow. The middle, a mirror holds my face. On the top, a jar with my ashes. Room full of air. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you, Morikoff. Thanks for being on. And Nadia, did you you have your did you find your poem or is she searching still? No, no, no. I just muted myself. Oh okay. I muted myself, so I didn't. That okay. was such a beautiful poem. Um, translate me into yourself, which is in a way what poetry does, right? It's like what what you're enacting over and yeah. over again in reading and in metaphor and in interpreting and very beautiful. And so many um, relationships in your poems mm. well wow. thank you patrick and thank you and tolly uh it's really been such a pleasure being here with you both yeah. i well, very much appreciate it and i'll read one one more poem midwinter i think it's okay to write another poem about the light about the white heron who rises over the black oil spill at the edge of the city I don't know if the heron is full of joy as she lifts her long torso up, as she hurls herself. Is that what she does, airward? I don't know whether the heron is going home or whether she lives here, whether she escapes suffering or more probably not. I do know there's no need to apologize for my own gladness today, midwinter, that has no apparent cause in the daylight cast from the sun. Wow. That that's one hell of an optimistic poem to end on. <laughs> so optimistic. I had to just go all optimism. I am speechless. I'd like to thank both of our guests, Nadia Colburn, all the way from uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, and the wonders of technology. Uh, and A. Malakov uh, from Portland, Oregon. Uh, you've been listening to Talking Earth. This is uh, KBO Portland that you've been listening to, 90.7 on your FM dial. Uh, thanks to everyone, and uh, thanks to our readers tonight. And everyone, a good night.